It's time for a conversation with NFL Network's Charles Davis. Brought to you by Premier Golf Centers. Now with Charles Davis, here's Jason Puckett and the Gas Man. Are we rolling hour number two, Puckett and Gas, live from the Carter Volkswagen studio. We are so happy, so pleased to have Charles Davis from the NFL Network, also Fox Sports, joining us on a weekly basis here for the next several weeks as we, of course, lead up to the NFL Draft. We'll get some post-NFL Draft coverage we'll talk about uh, nfl offseason news i at some point will sprinkle in some golf because we will i'll uh, people will always wonder they ask me why is charles davis coming on weekly and sponsored by premier golf what people don't know is that charles has got an extensive background in golf we'll, we'll cover that and also we will leave every weekly conversation with a great 1980 movies clip because when we had uh, chuck and i had charles on uh, months ago we learned this man has a massive appetite for 80s movies and he and i have that we share that that love for the greatest decade of movies how are you charles everything good everything is great it's good to talk with you and uh happy springtime yes fall season has started draft obviously coming up basketball nba playoffs going on it's a great time of year this oh sorry guys this really is the best time of, of year yeah I was going to add the one thing I was going to add, uh, uh, Charles, is the uh, uh, the other thing that you know, people aren't aware that maybe you're a big golf guy, and then you're not yeah. aware that iHeartMedia is paying you in in range tokens for this appearance. <laughs> okay. So it, it's you'll be, you'll be able to buff up your game. Well, they've seen my swing, and they understand that I need those range tokens. Yeah. And, and need a lot more time out there. So it sounds to me like they're looking out for me, and I they, appreciate that. They are looking, yeah. Charles Davis joining us uh, here every single week at 11 o'clock, uh, brought to you by Premier Golf, 12 great locations across the Pacific Northwest. I go up to Inner Bay. That's where I get my my hosel game on is up at Inner Bay with a bucket of balls, a beer, and a burger. Uh, so great great locations across the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, because people don't know that about you, Charles. They, they see you on, on the coverage on the weekends, and they see you do college football games. And they also see you do your NFL draft coverage, and that's why we have you on here on a weekly basis. But you started off doing stuff with the PGA Tour. I think it was the Disney Classic back in the, like the late 90s. You put that tournament together. You're part of Fox coverage for the U.S. Open. You were out here back in 2015 when the U.S. Open was here at Chambers Bay. So golf's a big part of your, your background. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I've been very fortunate that way. It all started when I was working at Stanford as an assistant athletic director and the golf course and it's and all the things that went along with it came under my purview at that time and and uh, so I started to learn a lot about it and as you noted I became the tournament director for the Disney Golf Classic and did that for three years and then you know continued to dabble in it a little bit did some Golf Channel work five mm-hmm. years on a show called The Great Goose Nineteenth Hole along with Steve Dumig and hosts like Vince Cellini and uh, Kelly Tillman so we you know we had a great time during that time so yeah. I still enjoy watching the golf, and that was a great Masters we just had too. And yeah. I don't think anyone is getting that green jacket off of the, off of our winner. I think he's going to be in that green jacket. <laughs> he has worn it everywhere in two days. Yeah. I mean, he is having an absolute blast with it. And I I got to admit, I can't really blame him. I really can't blame him. I don't think I take it off either. Charles, we had a lot of talk about Patrick Reed up here, and whether or not there was kind of a two-pronged thing is he a villain is he a guy he doesn't fit in box in golf's normal box of how you describe right. a champ so villain maybe is too strong a word but to use it for a minute if he's a villain is that not good for the sport wouldn't golf be improved if there's kind of one guy 
wearing the black hat, being the villain that everybody's pointing at all the time, and and he's good enough that the only way he really becomes a villain is he's got to win a few more of these you know, major events and keep winning on the circuit. But is isn't that ultimately good for golf to have a guy like that, a galvanizing superstar? I think you're right, and I think that we've probably not looked at it quite that way because it is golf and it right. is you know a a gentleman's game. You know we're very genteel about that. But when Jack Nicholas was riding herd, he was a villain, okay? We didn't talk about him that way. People didn't look at him that way, but he was a villain because he was the guy people were shooting for, right? When Arnold Palmer was the king, you go back to Gene Sarris and whoever you want to trot out there, Bobby Jones was a villain even though, again, no way you ever use those words with Mr. Jones because he kept his amateur status, right? He never became a professional, which back then – being a professional was actually said with disdain, all right? Being a professional meant you didn't have enough bearing, you didn't have enough breeding, right? You didn't have enough money in order to stay amateur and stay pure. If you had to take money for being a professional athlete, then there was something really wrong with you. That meant your family just wasn't it. And that was, that's, that was where that whole thing began. Professionals were looked down upon. Well, obviously, you know, we've advanced well beyond that nowadays. But whoever's doing the winning, look, Tiger Woods is one of the best villains you ever had. Plus, Tiger had so much of an edge to him at that time that, again, still a gentleman's game. You could see that, that beautiful smile he would have after he won. But when it was time to get out there, those guys were shooting at him like crazy, even though a lot of them were intimidated. I mean, what's the, the, the famous story about Tiger when he was in his prime? And you remember the match play championships? Mm-hmm. He rolls out there, and I think it was Michael Campbell had drawn, you know, number 64. So he's going against number one to begin with. And he had some fun the week before and said, heck, yeah, I want Tiger Woods. Give me, I want a piece of Tiger. And he was just joking about it. And they roll out to the first tee, and they get introduced. Hey, number 64, Michael Campbell, and the best player in the world, Tiger Woods. And before they teed off, the Tiger leaned in close to him and said, I heard you wanted me. Now you've got me. <laughs> yeah, you always got to be careful what you <laughs> wish. Tiger went, yeah, and Tiger went out there and blew him away, you know, like, you know, six and seven or seven or whatever it was, seven and six or something, just crushed him. And so, <laughs> so you, as you said, be careful what you're wishing for. But, yeah, you're right. Black hats are a part of it. We just don't perceive them that way. Patrick Reed, probably as close to it as we've seen in a long time in golf because of his background. But what I keep telling everyone is to remember one thing with this. We're hearing really one side of things because Patrick is not talking about it. He's not talking about what, what forced him, what, he, what made him decide to stay away from his family. We don't know what really happened with him and his wife and his family. That's his family talking. So until I get both sides of that story fully, I don't perceive him quite that way. But then you add in what happened to Georgia, what happened at Augusta State. Yeah, he's got a little bit of villain to him, but I think he actually likes it. The man can do it all, from golf to 80s movies to the uh, the draft coming up uh, next week. All right, so, Charles, uh, it's a big, you know, I, I think in, in terms of anticipating the NFL draft, I think a lot of Seahawks fans around here are, I mean, I think they're excited about next week because this is uncharted, yeah. you know, territory for them. They haven't been in this position before where, like, this this year's draft is, is paramount, I think, for their future success, that, you know, they missed the playoffs. This is the first time under under Pete Carroll with a Russell Wilson-led quarterback. They have not made it to the postseason. They've got that first-round pick at number 18, but they don't have the coveted second-round picks or third-round picks. And you know John Schneider in your years of nope. covering this draft. That's what he wants. So 
I, I would assume because everyone out here believes that they will trade that first round pick. How how mm-hmm. how surprised would you be when you sit down on Thursday and your coverage on the NFL Network? How surprised would you be if they actually kept that number eighteen pick and made a selection? Well, I think what it would tell us, guys, is that if they keep the number eighteen, which I think they would love, as you mentioned, to get out of it and trade back and accumulate some more picks and, and pick more players. But let's say they do pick at 18. That would be a fun story to chase down and find out what John Schneider and Pete Carroll would say because I think if they're picking at 18, they didn't find a dance partner. Mm. And a lot of that depends on what swirls around them. See, the Cowboys are at 19. And a lot of people think that they are a prime team to maybe move up a few slots to ensure that they get a guy that they want. Because we're all kind of looking at the Cowboys right now, especially with Dez just getting cut and saying receiver. Okay? There aren't many big-time receivers projected in this draft. But we have to remember last year, for we, everybody went all in on receivers last year, didn't they? And the most valuable receiver started in the second round. Right. <laughs> I mean, Juju Smith-Schuster, right? Uh, Cooper Cup. You can just go right down the line. The first-round guys didn't give you the value that the people thought that they were going to get either due to injury or just not being productive. John Ross didn't catch a pass for Cincinnati last year, and they talked about moving him back over to defensive back, which he played somewhat at the University of Washington. So when you look at it that way, that's one thing. But I don't think the Cowboys need to move from 19 to 18 to make this happen. They have to move ahead of Seattle. So will there be action that goes around them where people don't need to move into Seattle's slot? Or will there be people that are available that want to come up? And it all depends. And I think that flurry of action will begin once we see how these quarterbacks come off the board early. Because I think if they come off where four of them go in the top ten, there may be a flurry of activity if someone really wants Lamar Jackson and may feel like they have to come up and get him and not sit and wait for him. And maybe that's where Seattle might get a phone call. We'll have to wait and see. Well, in Seattle, Charles comes in with, I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, there's a few names in the trade wins right now. I don't think any bigger than Earl Thomas, and that adds no. to the intrigue up here that that since a team calling about a draft day trade might also be inquiring as to the availability of, of, of maybe the best guy to play that position in the NFL, it, it makes it impossible to analyze what the Hawks are going to do because clearly they've always been a team that seeks out trade opportunities they're going to be sought after by other teams aren't they with Earl being kind of twisted in the wind a little bit yeah I think so I think that would definitely be something to discuss here's the thing to keep in mind and I'm sure you've probably covered it already I've called Earl Thomas the best eraser in the NFL and what I mean by that is whatever happens in front Earl makes it come out right in the back end in in most cases I still have that vision of him popping the ball out of Todd Gurley's hands in Los Angeles last year when Gurley's going in for a touchdown and Seattle wins the football game. So whatever happened in front, here comes the eraser because he can make the plays. He can range all the way deep, come up and make the, make the run stops you know, near the line of scrimmage. He can make the plays on the football. He can do everything you're looking for. But the one thing you're going to have to keep in mind now with Earl, veteran guy in the league, shoulder two years ago, the injuries last year that he had to try and play through, it's not the same guy that you've seen in terms of before. He had that per- almost perfect physical record, right? The last two years have been some breakdowns. Will that affect trade in terms of value numbers? It might with certain teams. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Because, guys, look at the offseason. 
The safeties are all sitting at home going, what happened? Why is no one coming for us? Right? It wasn't just Eric Reed and kneeling guys. Kenny Vaccaro with the Saints. No one's picked him up so far, right? We can just go right down the line. So that's going to be interesting to watch and see how it progresses. Charles Davis joining us for his weekly visit on the Beacon Plumbing Hotline. Brought to you by Premier Golf. Twelve great locations across the Pacific Northwest. The... I, I guess there there are a number of needs that the, the the Seahawks desire in this draft. I mean, you know, we have a poll question up: Is it defensive line? Is it a wide receiver slash running back? Is it secondary help? Obviously, with Richard Sherman being gone, the idea, the thought they may trade Earl Thomas, the uncertainty. Charles with Cam Chancer looking at the Seahawks. Yeah. What do you think right now sh- should be their focus of attention as they approach this draft next week? Well, it's a two-fold approach. Number one is, for every team, you protect your number one asset, right? So let's, let's, let's compare Seattle to the Bears right now. And the only reason I'm doing that is the quarterback position. Mm-hmm. Mitchell Trubisky, the Bears member, moved from three to two. And when you look back on it, you just wonder, could they have just stayed at three and still got the same guy? See, I think San Francisco ran a great con on him last year. Right. I thought John Lynch was masterful. But anyway, they go up there and they get Mitchell Trubisky. So he's your quarterback for the future. Offensive line needs a little bit of help. Kyle Long's had a couple of surgeries in the offseason. Mm-hmm. But if you get him back at the level he plays, that's a heck of a right guard. You move Cody Whitehair back to center where he should be, I think in one day he's going to be a pro ball, all pro center. Then if you draft Quentin Nelson, if somehow you can get Quentin Nelson, the guard from Notre Dame, now you're protecting your asset, correct? Mm-hmm. So with Russell Wilson, what have we talked about for years? How have they made it work for the last X number of years where we're taking a former basketball player and starting him at left tackle? <laughs> you know, this guy's coming over here. Justin Britt has played right tackle, right guard, and center, and I think he's at his best at playing center now. Can they get that line solidified? And is there another guy that can come in because maybe you're still looking at right side? Although I think that you get Dwayne Brown at left, you put Fant at right now, and then you get things taken care of in the middle starting with Britt, I think they've got a better chance than they've had in a long time. So maybe that's not the focus. And don't forget, your head coach is a defensive guy. I know that he used to be an offensive coordinator. I know that way back when in his coaching career. But he's identified as a defensive guy. Sheldon Richardson just flew the coop after the big move last year to get it. That defensive front is going to need some help. No more Bennett. Averill, extremely doubtful. You get the idea. So when you put it all together there, you know, no Malik McDowell, it appears now. You're going to end up having a draft pick from last year that will maybe never play it down for Seattle. You're asking a lot, and most teams like to build from inside out. There's going to be some defensive linemen at that spot that I think will have the eye of Seattle. And that would be a great look for them. And don't forget as well, you continue to build with them. The secondary, as you mentioned, there will be a bunch of corners that will be available at that time as well, too. And with all those being great points and points well taken, the other thing to factor in is there are some new, strong personalities as assistant coaches in this town, a couple of them on the offensive side of the ball. Whether you let that person dictate is is certainly up for debate. It's Pete and John's show, obviously. Yeah. But but it's hard. Again, the Hawks are intriguing this year because who knows 
who's got the loudest voice in the draft room and who's saying, hey, I, you know, I came here because here's what I want to do. I don't know that they're necessarily going to look at the offensive line because they don't, you know, they seem to have addressed some of those things. Yep. But it's, it's, it's interesting to speculate with Schottenheimer here. How much weight will they give his voice if a terrific offensive player is available? And, and don't forget this, too. I say don't forget. You guys know it better than I do. They have gotten along with runners that you would not suspect would be your lead runners, right? Mm-hmm. Somehow Thomas Rawls emerged and looked like he was there for the long haul, turned out not to be. Chris Carson emerges as a seventh rounder last year. When you go back and look at his college days, he was a good player, but you, would you have ever predicted this guy would be a lead runner in the NFL as a rookie? Probably not, and he was that guy. Mike, Mike Davis comes in. They've tried to, to kind of jerry-rig it for a while. Well, we all know Saquon Barkley is the top player in the draft and by, by, by most people's accounts. Who's the second runner? Who's the third runner? And is that runner worthy of being a guy you would draft early and build around? Because as much as we say in the NFL, well, any guy can do it, this guy can do that, that's true to an extent. But when you had your best success in Seattle, right. Beast Mode was the guy. Yeah, is Geis, is, is Charles, he is, was running. Is, is Geis worth the 18th pick? Uh, um, I don't think so. I, I wouldn't go in that direction. Uh, you know, I, I would I, I would try and get him a little bit later. I think he's a good player, okay. but I don't know that I'm taking him in the first round and building that way. And maybe, that, maybe that's an example where they can trade back if they decide they like him and he's the guy that you're talking about there, Charles. They haven't really gotten that guy to replace Marshawn Lynch yet. That, that could be an obvious target to trade down to try and get. Yeah, and and, you know, I think what's going to be interesting about all of this is runners, I think, start in the second round. You know, I, I think that for most of the teams in the NFL, that's where you go. Because it's hard with the value of a running back, the shelf life of the running back, to, to be able Look. to spend a first-round pick, unless unless it's going to be Barkley. It's hard for, I think, teams to probably right. swallow and take that. Let me ask you quickly. before yeah, Real, real quick yeah. on the runners, though, just to cap it off because you're so right. People want to say, I can get a runner anytime. Right. And, and to an extent, that's true. I get all of that. But in recent years, it's been fashionable, again, if you really like a guy to go get him, and it's paid off. Gurley was, what, 11? I think he went 11 to the Rams, somewhere in the neighborhood, 10 or 11. Right? Zeke Elliott went at four. Leonard Fournette went at four last year. Christian McCaffrey went at eight. All of them had a big impact on their teams mm-hmm. as rookies. Okay, and continue to build on that. What about the year Gurley had last year? But to your point, the leading rusher in the NFL last year was a third rounder out of Toledo named Kareem Hunt. Right, right, exactly. Let me ask you real, real quick, and we'll probably dive into this more next week on the on the eve of the draft. Is is this a great with all the quarterbacks? And I get like they're all going to go in the top yeah. ten, but are they good? <laughs> like, I mean, honestly, are they just That's guys and teams need a quarterback? Or are these guys really good? Because if you ask me, I mean, I'm always biased towards the Pac-12 guys, so I like Sam Darnold. But, again, that's yeah. just me sitting on my couch with my hand down my pants and one hand on a beer. So, I mean, what do I know? <laughs> I don't know anything. But but I'll ask you. You're the expert. Are, is this a good class? I think it is a good class. I think what's happened with it is that, the draft goes this way for me, and I feel like it's been proven over time. When we turn the page to January, we have a pretty decent idea of who we think the top players are in the draft, and we're talking about them. Almost ad nauseum, correct? We hit a certain point in our run-up to the draft where we're like, I am sick of talking about those guys. 
who are the other guys and can they compete with them? And we start really pumping those guys up. Now we're what a week, you know, a little bit more than a week away from the draft. The needle starting to turn back to, Oh, you know something? The guys we liked at the beginning are really the best guys, aren't they? Mm-hmm. It works this way almost every time for the draft. So to your point with quarterbacks, we started out talking about Darnold Rosen, right? Mayfield, would he be that guy? Because remember, Mayfield before the season, people were talking about third, fourth round for him. It's a whole different ball game now, okay? Allen, what about this? We're still in the same spot with those guys. We're coming back full circle. I still think Darnold goes at the top. I think it's a good crop of quarterbacks, but I still will tell you, as a guy who's looked at them for a while, I liked Goff and Wentz better than anyone I like in this draft. And I liked Mariota and Winston better than any guy I liked in this draft. Okay. Now, other people will not see it that way, but that's how I see it. All right, Charles. Doesn't, we... mean, doesn't, mean, doesn't mean that they're bad quarterbacks. Just that I like those guys coming out potentially better than what I like with these guys here. But there's still a chance you're going to get a good quarterback out of this. All right, we, we're going to wrap up every uh, single every week. We're going to wrap up with a, with a funny a funny clip from the 1980s because you and I we we have an uh, we have an appreciation a love for 80s movies. So you're going to stay on the line. You can laugh in the background, but every single week we're going to play you a clip from a great 80s movie, and we deliver a classic from the 80s, Airplane. Wait a minute, I know you. You're Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. We play basketball for the Los Angeles Lakers. I'm sorry, son, but you must have me confused with someone else. My name is Roger Murdoch. I'm Nicole Powell. You are Kareem. I've seen you play. My dad's got season tickets. I think you should go back to your seat now, Joey. Right, Clarence? Oh, he's not bothering anyone. Let him stay here. All right, just remember, my name is Roger Murdoch. I'm an airline pilot. I think you're the greatest, but my dad says you don't work hard enough on defense. And he says that lots of times you don't even run down court. And that you don't really try, except during the playoffs. The hell I don't. Listen to me. I've been hearing that crap ever since I was at UCLA. I'm out there busting my buns every night. Tell your old man to drag Walton and near up and down the court for 48 minutes. <laughs> there it is, the great, uh, the great airplane, oh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You know what, Charles? There's so many other great clips from that movie so I want to play that, that our program director said you you can't play that one, this one, or that one. But uh, well, well, as as you go, uh, I just heard this one the other day. You may have heard it already. Okay. Do you know? Do you know who first choice was for that role that Kareem played? No, who? No. Pete Rose. Really? But they filmed but they filmed the movie during baseball season. Yeah. Pete couldn't do the Pete couldn't do it, so they got Kareem instead. Oh, no. I just lo- I loved at the end when the plane was going down and they were pulling the pilots out of the thing when they yeah. passed out. Yeah. And all of a sudden Kareem's in his Lakers jersey yeah. Lakers yeah. uniform. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. I, I mean but yeah, no disrespect to Rose, who I'm sure would have done the role justice. The line of the whole thing is you tell your old man to drag Walton and Lanier up the floor for 48 minutes every night. That that that, that, that was just the best. Accompanied by grabbing Absolutely. him. Right. And remember, remember, he looked around real quick to make sure make sure uh, the other pilot wasn't yeah. looking. Peter Graves wasn't looking. And they pulled the kid up. Uh, <laughs> Charles, you're the best. I look forward to it. We look forward to it every single week. We'll have another great 80s movie clip for you uh, next week. Uh, we appreciate it. We'll chat next week. 
I look forward to it. Thanks for your time, guys. Take care. Yep. Charles Davis, NFL Network. He joins us every single Wednesday at 11 o'clock. Thanks to uh, my good friends, the great people at Premier Golf, 12 great locations across the Pacific Northwest. I want to piggyback on something in the NFL draft here. Um, How big is this for the Seahawks? And is it, can you make an argument, the biggest draft ever under Carolyn Schneider? We'll discuss next. Now back to Puck and the Gas Man on your home for Seattle's best NFL draft coverage. Sports Radio 950, KJR. Again, our thanks to Charles Davis from the NFL Network and Fox Sports. Joins us every single Wednesday at 11 o'clock. Thanks to uh, Premier Golf and their 12 uh, great locations across uh, the Northwest. Uh, my, I like to call it my home track, my home uh, away from home, Interbay. Interbay Golf Center right up the road here. It's a beautiful place. Once I, mean, I get once I get past the uh, the cops, I make my way yeah, into yeah. the Interbay Golf Center. They may well be looking for you now, now that they know you were parked illegally while you were up hey. in the court yesterday contesting your ticket that you got. Got it reduced. The uh, the uh, the tab ticket yesterday expired tabs from two thirty five all the way down to a nice, easy, manageable ninety dollars. You're here. Not uh, about the money, Gas. About the principal. Did I, she even mention the letter thing? By the way, the never written? mentioned the letter. And I was telling Gas I should have mentioned this in the store. When when I'm sitting in the the, the waiting area, mm-hmm. people are. I have just the only thing I have is my registration that's kind of crumpled up, saying that obviously I have my registration. People <laughs> are in there with piles and stacks of paper, <laughs> like you know, going. And this guy's sitting next to me. I, I and I I kid you not. And everyone's dressed up, and they tell you in the sign when you come in here, please take off your hat. No cell phones. Mm-hmm. This guy is he's probably in his late twenties, dressed. You know. Button shirt tucked in, nice jeans, nice shoes on, and he's rehearsing what he's going to say to the judge. <laughs> right, <You> right. Know, <laughs> and I'm sitting over there like, okay, I'm, all I'm counting down is can I get out of here? Hopefully, I don't get a parking ticket. And uh, do I go single double at the Tito's, you know, handcraft vodka tent that I'm about to go to over at Henry's? And, and you also had to realize there's a big sign that says no cell phones, and your evidence that you're going to show is, is on your cell phone. You're going to have to ask the judge, do you yeah. mind if I pull my cell phone out to show you the evidence that I was too lazy to put onto another form here? The best part, the best part about it, too, also, is they said, you can't have any cell phones in here. Mm-hmm. Everybody in the room's on their cell phones, and there's like two people up there. I'm like, well, I guess no one's going to say anything. I'll be on my cell phone too. Yeah, I mean, I'm taking pictures. I, I I find it. I mean, I get in certain places, and it can be maddening. But the whole idea oh. of no cell phones, it's like you know, sorry, what that ship gonna, that ship has sailed, my friends. You want me to talk to somebody? I'm right, not going to talk to anybody. Do I'm that or talk to people on the imaginary social media. Right, sites. exactly. I've got I've got important things. It's like everybody gets in an elevator, and looks at their phone, like there's something <laughs> so critical happening in everybody's life. For the 11 seconds they're going to be in an elevator, they can't even say. Hi, how are you today? You know what my go-to elevator move is, though? Because you're right. Everybody everybody does that. And, mm-hmm. it's, and maybe it's especially in Seattle. It's right to the cell phones mm-hmm. or stare or look down at your shoes. It's yeah. like on the bus. No one looks at anybody. They got headphones in looking at their shoes. My go-to, and I know, I just, because I want to be a smartass, I think it's funny. You let one fly. Uh, no, but on when I'm. When I'm getting off the elevator, sometimes I do, and then I hate when the the person's walking in and they're getting in like, ah, and then, sorry, yeah, buddy. Right, yeah. I had a Taco Bell bean burrito. No. My question is, I don't look at my phone. It's it's always the the typical, hey, what, what do you think of that weather today? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good one. Just that makes me laugh. What do you think of the weather today? Because anytime you want to start a conversation, it's always, 
God, this weather today. Mm, How right. about the weather? I right. mean, that's, that's all we do as humans. It's commonality. Yeah, yeah. How's the you, weather? You know, because you can't, I mean, it's God. Stop raining? God knows. I mean, just you bring up just about anything else and you'll get into an argument with somebody about something. So you have to bring up something that you can all agree. You know, boy, hey, it's raining for the 943rd consecutive day. Doesn't that suck? Traffic. Boy, this traffic around here. It's, it's, I think yeah. the Seattle go-to topics now are, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's weather, traffic, and house prices. Right, but right, this housing right. market is—it's just through the roof. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, that that does a good one. Yeah, kick, that yeah, or rent rent prices. You rent can go prices. rent prices. Yeah, and but, these Amazon people. Yeah, boy, how about Jeff how about Bezos and those big balls down there? Huh? Then you yeah. don't know when you're talking to an Amazon person. Oh, like, you don't really? Are you dissing my company right now? I I, I always like that we're going to always pick on the millennials and all the young youngsters. Mm-hmm. But I I did laugh the other day. Then I don't know who's who's on the third floor. Is it like a is it a Expedia is one of them. Expedia is on two. I think they're on two. Okay. Yeah. So this I I come on the elevator and this gal's there and she's got on a pair of old school, but they're new. So like the retro Chuck Taylors, right? And right. I'm a huge shoe person. I love. That's mm-hmm. like my one vice in life is 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 shoes. Yeah. I love shoes, especially Nike shoes. And but I like Converse. I got a I got a pair of those as well. And I said, oh man, those are some nice Chuck Taylors. She's probably 25. She looks at me. She's like, huh? <laughs> I go, you're Chuck Taylors. Those are those are pretty nice. She goes, oh, uh, the these aren't Chuck Taylors. They're, they're Converse. So beautiful. <laughs> Just be. I just lucky. said. I said that. Ah, yep. Yeah, oh. Oh. I, my bad. I, I must have got it wrong. Look with the look on your face. You're lucky she didn't pull out a can of mace and soak you down, screaming "Me too." Like you know. You I mean, do, you do realize. The hell away from me, you pig. Yeah. The, the, you're wearing Chuck Taylors. They're made by Converse. Can I? Can I? Uh, I I've got nothing against the millennials at all. I, I think no. there 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 is a lot of really bright. But I will say one thing, and I've noticed this a lot. I'm going to paint with a wide brush here, which is a dangerous thing to do. I love it. But once in a while. I I think there at some point there was there was not proper elevator etiquette taught because I am blown away by the number of times the elevator will get there and the doors open and before I can in. get out twenty five people it drives like, me nuts. Hang on a minute, you're supposed to let the idiot on the elevator off before you walk in. It's Your a very simple thing. Generation Jackson doesn't understand proper Listen. elevator etiquette. It drives it, me insane, and I always do and so you notice the same thing. Of course, yeah. It, it it feels like it just it's this aloof thing. And again, I've got I'm not saying oh the millennials are a bunch of bums. I think they're actually some really brilliant, bright, sharp people. And, and I'm I'm excited about what's going to happen in the future because I'm sure as hell done doing anything yeah. can worthwhile. I, can so I say something? <laughs> you're have to do I'm something. out. Yeah, I'd like to say something as the only millennial here yeah. uh, of of our group. I hate my generation. I hate them. And really? I want no part of them. See, I don't hate them at all. I I like them, and I think there's a lot of creativity. Selfie sticks. And... I want those banned from life. I think those I'm... have gone away. I've seen those. Yeah, I don't see those. Yeah. As Instagram much and Snapchat just blow the hell up. Okay. I don't mm-hmm. want any of those anymore. Okay, I, uh, like yeah. that kind of stuff. Like my generation comes up, and they are. Obsessed but the ele- with that stupidity. But the mm-hmm. elevator thing. And, that's and le- that's goes legit. With that, and right there, that goes with it. And any time it happens, I always do the, oh, I'll let you on. Yeah, you're all, oh, yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. getting off. Yeah, I'm, I'm a or big. Or I do it, excuse me, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, I'm a big, oh, pardon me. Well, the yeah. same people pardon who do me, that my fault, are yeah. the same people who use selfie sticks, are obsessed with Snapchat and Instagram, and need to just stop all of it. Boy, this is great, because I mean, I don't have to get mad at the millennials, because Jackson's going to do it See, for I me. See, I love about Jackson, he's the youngest, oldest, uh, grumpiest person yeah, I've ever met. He is a grump, isn't he, which is good, the I like best that. Best bands are Pink Floyd, The Who, and Led Zeppelin. Listen to him, that's fantastic. There we that's, go. That is outstanding. We didn't get to, is this the biggest 
first draft here for the uh, for Pete Carroll and John Schneider. We'll touch on that with lunch with listeners uh, coming up next. Maybe we'll touch in what we'll always we'll get a highlight from Sounders Weekly last mm-hmm. night, and I want to briefly briefly touch in on I think a huge story in the Pacific Northwest involving expansion. Back to Puck and the Gas Man on your home for Seattle's best NFL draft coverage. Sports Radio 950, KJR. Top of the hour, we'll have lunch with listeners. Your chance to win a gift card to the Other Coast Cafe, the greatest sandwich shop in all of the land. Three great locations, Ballard, Capitol Hill, Queen Anne. We'll ask you, what is our, which is also our daily Twitter poll, what's the number one priority for the Seahawks in the draft? Running back, wide receiver, D-line secondary or trade and acquire more picks we'll ask you that with lunch with listeners we dive more uh, into the nfl draft again brought to you by the other coast cafe great sandwich spot uh, locations ballard queen anne and capitol hill all right uh before we get to the uh, expansion news in the northwest how did the show go last night sounders weekly which airs every tuesday seven to eight o'clock right here on sports radio 950 kjr hosted by jackson felts and garth lagerway <laughs> Yes, uh, Garth on every every Tuesday from seven twenty five to about seven thirty five. You really might as well accept that we're going to call him your co host. You're just going to uh, have to accept. I, does that. he get you things like are you? Crank. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey Garth, Garth, give me some coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Will you try one time? <laughs> well, no, because we aren't in the same room when we do the interview. Oh, well. Bring him in. And he's over. He's over at uh, the, the Sounders facility. Exactly. No, but we had a, we had a nice chat. Uh, okay. We talked about. Uh, the first point of the season coming in Sporting Kansas City uh, on Sunday. Also had a really cool chat with uh, Alex Roldan. He's the rookie midfielder. He was drafted out of Seattle University in the first round. So their first round draft pick went to a kid right here in Seattle. Uh, he makes his first start on Sunday. He has a fantastic game. So we talked about that. And then if the name sounds familiar, his brother, Christian Roldan, plays for this team. And he gave a pretty good answer talking about what it means to play with his brother. Sometimes I do look over to the side and I see him you know, make a tackle and make a make a great pass. And I just as you, as you saw in this past previous game, he scored a beautiful goal. And uh, it's something special in terms of in terms of you know getting to create these memories together. But also, we're both competitive, so it's it's also the feeling that I know that I'm I'm gonna have him on my side to push me harder to to play better and and know that I have that confidence within within him. So it's great for for Alex to be able to you know hit the emotions right there because I asked Christian the exact same question he said yeah it's nice so he's, he's the older brother right <laughs> yeah exactly he doesn't give a flip <laughs> wow thought you were gonna go there nah I thought no, you were because no. we were talking about our, our profanity oh, yeah, like well, shows uh, hopefully were... <laughs> hopefully he knows where the, the all the proper buttons are because I can't be pretty and, troubled and so give me the uh, the matchup this week this Saturday yeah this Sunday uh, it's Sunday a, yeah Sunday uh, Minnesota United rolling into town Central Link uh, kickoff is at one o'clock we'll have coverage start. Starting at 12.30 with myself, Matt Johnson uh, is the play-by-play. There you go. All right, so I, we don't have a ton of time here, but I do want to mention it because we may not get to it, I think, with lunch with listeners because we're going to talk about the NFL draft uh, with the listeners, and also we have a priceless audio from from head Coog coach Mike Leach coming up uh, at 12.30. It's, Good. It's, it's beautiful. Good. Uh, he rants on one, one of your least favorite sports. Um, so, the, you know, we, when I say expansion of the Pacific Northwest, everyone's just going to jump right to the NBA and, and obviously the NHL. That's certainly the big news here in Seattle. And this story came out this past summer when I, when Chuck and I were doing a show and I, and I kind of joked and we, Rob Manford was in town over mm-hmm. the summer. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go down there and, and, and chat with him. Chuck's like, well, why do you want to go do that? I'm like, well, I don't know. It's just, 
How many times are you going to ask a question to the commissioner of the of a sports league? Right, I would kind of agree with Chuck. You really asked, why would you want to go talk to the commissioner? Well, but so the, I had one question in mind. That's all mm-hmm. I had. The, I had one reason why, why, why I wanted to go down there. Because mm-hmm. there was rumors swirling and starting some buzz starting to pick up about expand playoff base excuse me baseball expansion in portland and i had been you know i'd spent time down there my my my, you know my first job in radio was spent in portland and when i was down there when frenettes and i were down there there was a great traction or um some support to try to get the expos to move there right instead they go to they go to washington um and so but now in the last six months there has been a lot of uh, rumors and stories swirling that that baseball could expand there. Do we have the Manford quote? Well, this was uh, Manford's response when I asked him about the possibility of Portland. Uh, yeah, I think that in, in terms of sequencing the issues, um, it's important to get Oakland and, and Tampa resolved before we move ahead. You mentioned several cities. Would our neighbors to the south, would Portland be on a short list? Portland would be on a list, yeah. I mean, I think Portland's a possibility. We would need, if we were going to go to 32, we'd need a Western time zone team. We'd need, need at least one more. And, um, you know, you can think about the prospects on the West Coast probably as effectively as I can. So, uh, you name another West Coast team. I mean, if they do expand or even move the A's, there's not another likely scenario. You want to talk about a city that is that has grown up here in the last 10 years. We always talk about Seattle. We joke about the housing market here and, and mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the employment market and all that. Portland is right behind us mm-hmm. in all of that. In right. terms oh, of yeah. growing interest. And so... There is now. There is. It's just not. Oh, hey. Hopefully, this happens. John Canzano is a radio host down there, and also works for the Oregonian. The Oregonian's been all over this story. Their mayor down there is weird. He's a pro business, pro sports mayor that thinks bringing professional franchises to a city is a good idea for everyone. Uh, his name's Ted Wheeler. He's all behind this. They got a guy also is down there. There's a former Nike executive, uh, Craig Cheek. Uh, he is at the center right now of the Major League Baseball movement uh, to Portland. Their their website or their organization. Is called the Portland Diamond Project. That it, it's gaining steam. They've got two locations already picked out. Mm-hmm. One's right by the Moda Center, Rose Garden. The other one is down in an industrial area, right down there on the river, across across the river. Right. And um, they want to build like about a thirty-five thousand seat stadium. And the idea, one would be expansion, but the other one is is Oakland. Move the A's up right. to Portland. I'd love if it worked out to be expansion because I'd love the National League to have a team yeah. in Portland. I think for I think I think you'd see. A lot of interest in that from up here. A, they immediately become a rival. You'd play them in interleague play, but B, that then you you could see the National League game more often in sure. your in your backyard. Interesting thing to think about and to ponder with Oakland Puck is that they've been looking for a new baseball stadium down there for twenty five years, yeah. and to my knowledge, I don't think they've ever. I don't think the A's have ever had any kind of leverage to go to Oakland and say, "Hey, we're going to move to Portland unless you do something." The, there's never really been a city that aggressively pursued. Right. The team, so the city has been able to sit back and go. We don't have to worry about it. What are you, you going to go? Nobody, yeah. nobody wants the this, A's. This is, yeah, this does play a part. And they did a thing last night where they they gave free tickets out last night because their their contention is that this is a good baseball market. We just need to have a better stadium and we need you know lower ticket prices and things like that. They gave out free tickets and they got forty seven thousand people to show up. Now you're going to say, yeah. well, it was free. Their point was it's just a good market of baseball fans. I think the un- just the other interesting dynamic to this is the role of this baseball team here in Seattle, the Mariners. Mm-hmm. We had uh, Maury Brown who writes for Forbes magazine. He uh, kind of a sports business guy, and he lives in Portland. He got a ch- chance a few months ago to to ask John Stan about what he would feel and the organization would feel 
if baseball did expand to Portland. Success and sustainable position very much depends on the size of your market, right? That, that Seattle is already one of the smallest markets in terms of, of population. Um, you know, we are the smallest market in the AL West. San Diego is the smallest market in the NL West. Portland's smaller than either of them, right? right? So, you know, you put yourself in a position of Portland. I, what I would do is first think about what it is for Portland to be successful. And and it is hard to generate the, the for the small teams to generate the revenue to be able to pay the players to be successful. And that is a challenge. But if there's a Portland team, then we'll embrace them as a rival. I mean, I-5 rivalry, one of the stats that I hate in baseball is the Mariners have led baseball in one statistic for 40 years, and that is the number of miles traveled, right? So, so when we have teams in our division that are 1,500 miles away, right, it puts a burden on our players and our coaches and our, our media, you know, to travel. So, you know, having a team in Portland has that benefit. You know, we if there were a team, then we would have a number of issues that we need to go through. But, you know, that's it's the commissioner's issue, fortunately. Right. And, and listen, the number one issue is reach. Because right, right. they are, having lived down there and worked down there, the Mariners, their television and their, their reach is huge in Portland and Vancouver. And if a team would come into Portland, if you're in Vancouver and you're a Mariners fan and they got a TV deal down there, you're not watching the Mariners. Right. It's, it's right. off because you're the Portland TV market. They, the Mariners, would admit they depend on people coming up from the South to view their product. Right. Right. It, it's very similar. And the Mariners have more inventory, which is the dissimilar part. But it's similar to the way the Canucks would view Seattle. Seattle, for years, has been a little bit of a Canucks town because there were a lot of games being piped in here and you could watch them. That changes the second Seattle gets a team. But, but yeah, mean. we thought about that last night, but it kind of changes. The Canucks aren't on TV down here. But, but, they, they don't, they're on road games, but they're not on. They don't have a TV deal here. Root has got a TV deal in the Portland market. Right, they had one for a while because com uh, the whatever NBC um, yeah. channel they. But yeah, you're you're right. Root is on it in Portland. You know the other thing is this, and I mean I, uh, John is is carving out a nice wide territory there as right. as a smart CEO sure. does. I guess we're the smallest market in the AL West. I'm, that does doesn't make any sense anymore. I mean, no. you own a TV network. Uh, the city's growing like crazy. You got your new ballpark 18 years ago. I, you know, I don't think market size has anything to do with it anymore. In my opinion, I think we'll chew on this more maybe well, later this week or even next week. I think it's a it's a fantastic story. I love this city. I love Portland uh, to death. I think it would be a great baseball town. I would love to be able to get on a train and drive, you know, or drive down a couple hours and and if it's the A's or it's an NL team and watch another baseball team. I think it'd be fun. I think it'd be fun for because you'd have that the Mariners and them. And obviously, when the hockey comes here, you've got also that rivalry there with the Canucks. All right, lunch with listeners brought to you by Other Coast Cafe coming up after headlines with Curtis Calhoun. And we'll just simply ask you about the Seahawks. Number one priority for the draft, which starts next week. What is it? We ask you next.